Cornelius calls for Peter. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I am the one you are looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man, who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to come, told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. Thank you. Thanks, Betty. She said I went a little bit too far. I think it was good that she went a little bit too far. It helped make sense of it, didn't it? So... Uh, it's great. Please make sure you've got your Bibles open because we're not going to be spending from 1 to 22 today. We're actually going to go through the whole of the uh, chapter 10. So even though we'll be in this part of the section for a little while, we'll only start there and we'll move into the rest of chapter 10 because it's a wonderful story and it's a whole compact story. You can't really deal with it unless you deal with a whole lot. So we're going to do the whole lot this morning. So if you've got a Bible, open up to Acts 10. It'll be really helpful for you to be able to follow along. Uh, let's pray as we come to look at this together. Dear Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks this morning for your word. Lord, as we look at your word this morning, Acts 10, as we work through this, uh, this passage together, as we see this story of uh, two men and two lives that come together, 
We pray, Lord, that uh, we will see you through it, uh, we'll see your message in it, Lord, and that by your spirit, uh, that message will challenge us and change us, Lord, from the inside out. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but uh, there's a one type of television program on TV these days that really uh, stuns me every time I watch them. It's those lifestyle shows like Better Homes and Gardens. You know, they blow me away because of two things: of their cooking segment and their building segments. And you might be saying, "Why?" Well, let me explain to you. Because when you look at the cooking segment, uh, you get a bit of a preview that they're going to be doing this amazing, elaborate meal. And they say that it's just so easy. And you go, yeah, right. Then what they do is they pan in and you get to look. And what do they have? They have everything perfectly set out in little white bowls, don't they? They're just wonderfully across there. And as they do the meal, they take little bits out and they put it in. And there's no mess. I can't believe that. That's not what happens at my house when I cook or even when Karina cooks. It's just a mess. Stuff everywhere. There's no little white bowls anywhere. We just have to get it all together and throw it in. I don't know how they do it. Everything just well organised, put together. But then there's the do-it-yourself, making something segment. You get that bloke that's some decent-looking fella who's got big muscles and he can do anything, can't he? You know, and he tells you that he's going to make this box. It's going to be a box, but it's not just a box. It's actually going to be a coffee table. And the coffee table's going to have this wonderful top on it and you can open it up and inside you can store things. And so you come back to the next thing and it goes into his uh, garage and his garage is just perfect, isn't it? All the tools you could possibly think of, they're all there, jigsaws, bandsaws, the works, they're all set out perfectly. And he gets this stuff up and he says, it's just so easy. Yeah, right. He's got tools all over the place, it's wonderful, isn't it? The greatest tool my father said you can ever have in your toolbox is a telephone. You ring up the plumber, you ring up the carpenter and you bring them in. That's the best tool there is. But this bloke gets it all together, doesn't he? He brings it in and he gets it out and it's inlaid and he's not, and it joins. It's just perfect, isn't it? Everything is right spot, everything comes together. It's just beautiful. Just everything dovetails to make this wonderful box or this great creation that you're able to eat. I'm stunned every time I look at those shows. Well, this morning, as we look at the passage in Acts chapter 10, look out for how well organised God is, how he dovetails everything to bring it all together to bring a great message to you. Be ready to be stunned by how God does this and look at how he's going to do this. Look at how God's love smashes down the greatest barrier that you could possibly imagine, the biggest barrier. He smashes it and removes it right in front of your eyes. So get ready for it, guys. Have a look at this passage with me this morning. That's why I want you to have your Bibles open. That's why I want you to see it, because this is a stunning story we're going to be looking at this morning. Remember where we are. We're in the middle of Acts. We've been doing Acts chapter 1 to 9 in the first term. In this term, we're going to go 10 through to about 17. And remember what Acts is? Acts is a book that's actually the second instalment of Luke. So if you read Luke in the New Testament, this is his second instalment. It's like uh, if you've got, uh, what are they, um, Lord of the Rings number one and Lord of the Rings number two. Well, here it is. We've got Luke and then Acts 2. And it's the story of the Acts of Jesus. Some people call it the Acts of the Apostles, but it's actually the Acts of Jesus. 
It's the acts of Jesus working through the apostles to take the good news of Jesus throughout the world. And the big verse that kicks it all off is Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where he's told, where Jesus tells them, you are to take the message of the good news of Jesus to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And that's what we see in Acts. The good news of Jesus spreading through each of those different regions to the ends of the earth. And so far, we've seen it go to Jerusalem. We've seen it go to Judea. We've seen it somehow get into Samaria where the Jews would never think that it could possibly go. They are the half-castes. They're the ones that, you know, it's like going to New Zealand. They're over here. They're not strained. You know, it gets across that barrier. But now we see the next step. It goes across the even bigger barrier into people who had no connection with the Jews at all, into the Gentile world. Could Jesus actually impact people outside of the Jewish nation? Could Jesus impact people throughout the whole world? Can Jesus break down the barrier that's been up for thousands of years because the Jews have been God's people for thousands of years and it hasn't gone outside that small bits here and there but it hasn't really gone outside that can it possibly go the next step to the rest of the world well look at verse one we find a bloke called Cornelius he's an Italian in an Italian regiment and he's a God-fearer see that that means he's still a Gentile that is a non-Jew but he has a concept of God he thinks God's all right he's an interested sort of bloke but he has not yet joined God's people. He's what we've just been praying for, that Mike prayed for, yeah. He's a not yet Christian. He's a guy that's interested, but hasn't taken the step yet. And he's a not yet Jew in one sense too, because he's not yet, he hasn't been circumcised. He's in one sense unclean to the Jewish people. He's outside their system. But he gets a vision. And it's sort of one of those visions when you don't really get a vision in one sense, doesn't it? Because, look, he gets an angel, turns up to him, he's scared, and the angel then doesn't actually tell him what he wants to do. He tells him he's got to go and meet a bloke called Peter. Can't you tell me, angel? Can't you tell me this good message? No, you've got to go and meet Peter. Which I think gives you a bit of an idea that there's more to this than just Cornelius. It's more than this than just Cornelius may be becoming Christian, but there's something to do with how it happens as well that's important. So keep that in mind. And you get a bit of an idea here. We have one vision with Cornelius, an Italian bloke, who you thought, well, what's God talking to him about? And then straight away you get another one. You see Peter, and he's having a vision from God too at the same time. It's a bit like those movies where you start off with two scenes. One scene over here with one person something going on, then another scene over here with another person in a completely different place, but you think... Those two have got to come together somewhere, don't they? And we're about to see how they converge. Well, look at what happens here. We've got uh, Peter down there. He has a vision down in verse 9 there. He's, got, he's a bit hungry. It's about noon. Uh, when he's getting a bit hungry, he's getting a bit anxious. He wants a bit of food. Uh, and he goes up onto a roof. And he says, well, the meal's not prepared yet. I'll have a bit of a snooze before I have something to eat. So he goes up. Uh, he has a bit of a snooze as he's tumbling, he's rumbling, he's kicking back on the top of the roof and he drifts off into a bit of a snooze mode and suddenly he gets a vision. He sees a mixed grill coming down out of the sky. 
This is the barbecue of all barbecues he's got in front of him. It comes down, this big tablecloth comes down and set out across this big tablecloth are all types of animals. Zebras, dolphins, koala, pigs, budgies. They're all there. And what he hears? Light out the barbie. Kill and eat, says God to Peter. What a great dream. The best barbecue ever you could ever have. No vegetables anywhere. Just all meat. Complete meat. It's all there. But for dear old Pete, this is more like a horror movie for him. Because Pete says, no, 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 God, I can't eat any of that. That's all unclean. The Old Testament strictly forgive, forbids me from eating pig and snake. I'm not allowed to. The food laws. What am I going to do with them, God? What's God doing here? You see, the food laws were the things that made the Jews obviously different. They didn't eat the same as the people down the road. They kept themselves clean. They stayed away from these things. And so he cries out in the middle of it. He says, no, Lord, I can't eat that. It'll make me unclean. Well, as often happens in nightmares, you sort of stumble out of it and uh, think it's all over and then you drift back again and Peter drifts back and the same thing happens. The big barbecue comes down in front of him again. Three times this happens to Peter. Peter's a bit like that, doesn't he? Three times things have got to happen to him to get through his head. Three times you'll deny me. Three times he was reinstated. It's a funny thing with Pete. I don't know what's going on there. It's got a thing with threes. But what on earth is this dream about? Animals coming out of the sky? Satay, lizards, sweet and sour pork? Is this just about food? What's this all about? And Pete's doing the same. He's going through his mind thinking, what's going on here? And while he's a bit dazed, while he's not too sure, God says, go downstairs and meet three people. So he's probably rubbing his eyes, thinking about what God's made clean, unclean. What am I do? God's made, how does it all fit? And suddenly he opens the door and there's three unclean animals in front of him. Three unclean men. Three non-Jewish blokes in front of him. And he thinks, oh, what do I do with these guys? What God has made clean, don't they unclean? And he does the thing that no Jew would ever do. He invites them in and he has a meal with them. You think Peter's starting to get the idea? Has he got the vision? This horror of not eating unclean stuff, not associating with unclean, has it got something to do with people and the message? And these guys come in and say that Cornelius has sent us and we want you to come back because God wants you to tell him a message. And so he invites them and he has a meal with them. But has he completely got it yet? Well, have a look at verse 24, which you're going to need to look at your Bibles for. Let's have a look at there. He arrives at Cornelius' place. Look what happens. He says, That following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up, stand up, he said, I am only a man myself. Now that is a great little comment just by itself, isn't it? So all of you people who fall down in front of me continually, you don't have to do it anymore. <laughs> no, nah, it doesn't happen, does it? You don't need to do it. There is no person, no person who's ultra-religious that we need to fall down in their feet of. We're just men together. Peter says you don't have to do it. That's beside the point. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, wonderful words. Look at this. You're well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I shouldn't call any man impure or unclean. 
So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. Has he got it? Does he understand it? But then look at verse 29. He asks, so why have you sent me for me? What do you want me here? Dear old Peter. You've got to love him, don't you? I mean, there he is. He's been told right back in the beginning of Acts that he's to go out and take this message of Jesus to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the world. They're starting to do all that sort of stuff. He has this vision about clean and unclean and he realises that the blokes, well, they're not, they're not to treat them unclean. But what am I to do with them now? Tell them, mate. Tell them. It's a bit like if you've got the fire department roll up at your door. You know, after the fire's ablaze, the house is getting the house says, how can I help you? Wouldn't happen, Cody, would it? You'd get stuck into it, mate. Well, what should Pete do? He should tell him about Jesus. Well, poor old Pete's a little bit slow, but Cornelius isn't, is he? Look in verse 28. He, Cornelius has brought a large gathering together. He's taking initiative. It's not just for him now. He's invited his whole family. He's brought them together. That's a great example, isn't it? He doesn't take the flyer, stick it in the corner and say, I'll remember that one day later. He takes the flyer and he invites everyone to the thing that happens on uh, Wednesday night for the, for the ladies. Cornelius, if he had been a girl, he would have invited everyone. He would have got out there and said, come and listen to this. This is an exciting message you need to hear about. He's brought them all in. And it's interesting, isn't it, that you would have thought that the angel could have done that to him. But no, God wants Peter to do it. It's amazing, isn't it? God could quite easily reveal that directly to Cornelius, but he brings in Pete to do it. It's just like us, isn't it? We might be reluctant, mightn't we? We might be uh, muddled as we might get. We might be a bad example of doing things. Uh, but God wants to use you and me to speak to people about Jesus. He could do it himself, but he wants us to be part of it involved in it he insists on that doesn't he partly for our benefit and we're going to see that this is partly for Peter's benefit two visions a room full of people eager to, eager to hear and in verse 34 Peter clears his throat and he goes for it and here he shows that he does understand look at verse 34 he says, I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. He's got it. He's got a picture of God now. His picture of God has been enlarged. His picture of God was just too small before. It was for one nation. Now it's for every nation. It's been broadened. He gets a picture of how God's love extends beyond that small group and wants to incorporate people from every nation. He longs to accept everyone. At the very centre of God's heart is the salvation of people like you and me, the salvation of people like your neighbour, the salvation of people like your family members, the salvation of people in this town. That's at the heart of God. That's what it means to be godly. If you've ever thought what it means to be godly, it's to have the heart of God. It's to have the heart to see people know Jesus. To see everyone know him. 
not just a certain kind of person, not just a person who comes from your socio-economic background, not just someone who enjoys rugby league, not just someone who fits within your nice comfortable setting, but every kind of person. There is no favouritism to God, no preferred treatment, because all of us are unworthy, really. People sometimes have that question or that uh, expression called a holy huddle. Have you heard of that? Which is a group of Christians who get together and their holiness together and become their own little group concerned about themselves. Well, a holy huddle is something that should never be part of our place here. Because it's not what God's on about. Our church family should be on about what God's on about. And God's on about seeing people know Jesus. You see, the biggest issue which you meet with any person that you meet with this week is where they stand with Jesus. That is their biggest issue. That's their eternal issue. That's what they need to know the most. We need to see people as not yet Christians. People who need to know Jesus. And if we do that, if we have God's vision on the world, God's vision on people, then I reckon we'll be sharing that message far more than we do, won't we? Well, Peter did get it, didn't he, in the end? He got it. He got the idea. And he goes off in verse 36 and he goes through his speech and he goes through and he shows that Jesus is Lord over all. We won't look at it exactly as we go through, but we'll see that it's there. But more than that, we also see that uh, Jesus becomes what we were so that we can become clean. You see, Peter says that Jesus was crucified on a tree. And the reason he uses that terminology because in the Old Testament, anyone who was crucified on a tree was seen as being unclean outside the camp. And so what Peter is showing to these people is Jesus became unclean for you and I so that we could become clean. See that whole passage that's working through, the difference between uncleanliness and cleanliness? We've been made clean through Jesus being unclean for you and I. And what we need is what he needs. What he gives to us is forgiveness. We've been made clean through him. It's not about what you eat. It's not about whether you're circumcised. It's about whether you come to Jesus. As Liz said, it doesn't matter how tall or how small or how big or everyone is to come to Jesus. And now watch what happens in verse 44. Peter's in mid-sentence. He's revving up and he's on his way preaching the gospel and then suddenly in the middle of it, an amazing thing happens. He's, he's interrupted. Look at verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Spirit had been poured out, even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Some people will tell you to have a Holy Spirit experience, you need to be in a place that's preaching about the Holy Spirit. Well, notice what happens here with Peter. He hasn't mentioned the Holy Spirit. He hasn't even got there. But the Holy Spirit comes upon these people. You see, Peter's just told them about Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes. They're there to hear the message about Jesus and the Spirit touches their lives. It's simply to hear the message of Jesus as Lord which makes them clean. And the Spirit comes in and shows that. 
get an outward expression of that by these people speaking in tongues. You see, these guys who were with them, they were shocked, weren't they? They said, poured out even on the Gentiles. They, how can they have the same as us? What's God showing? That they are the same as you. They trust and believe in Jesus. They are all one now. There is no two class of Christian guys. There is no two class of people. When you're in Jesus, you are in Jesus. We are all in Jesus together. You see how Jesus, how God smashes down that barrier. His love just steps through the cultural barrier that was there and breaks across that and says that I'm going to love them too and bring them to me. And notice Peter's words in verse 47. Can anyone keep them from being baptised with water? No. They're like us. They've come to Jesus. There is no second class treatment for them. There's no special Gentile pack that they need. They trust in Jesus. And they receive the Holy Spirit just as we have, said the disciples that were with him. stuff isn't it and you see there are two miracles that happen here in front of us as the spirit descends God brings the Gentiles into his kingdom as the spirit descends God brings Peter to share in his great passion do you see the two miracles one is that the guys who you would never have thought of God doesn't show favoritism he brings them in and the other one is Peter gets his eyes open to how big God's plan is for the world. The second miracle. Not one, but two men are profoundly changed here by the good news of Jesus. Cornelius has become a Christian. An exciting exchange has begun. A new life begins. But Peter too has come to understand about Jesus that in bigger than he could possibly imagine how great this message is. It's going to go and take over the world, Peter people that you would never even eat with or talk to or touch, it's going to go there. It's going to touch them. A new life for both of them. Today, if you're a not yet Christian, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, well, Cornelius is there for you, isn't he? He says, here it is. Trust in Jesus. Here's your chance to be made clean. Here's your chance to be forgiven. A new life to begin as a follower of Jesus. You don't have to try and clean your life up yourself. You don't have to be a what about Earl and go and rectify all your problems. You just need to come to Jesus. Take on him and he'll start changing you. But today if you are a Christian then Peter is there for you. And he's learned a lesson hasn't he about God's heart. God's heart is for people to come to him. How about your heart? What's your heart? Is it for people to come to him? How much do you feel that people around you need to know Jesus? Is the gospel turning your world upside down like it did to Peter? Is it changing your whole way of thinking to see people out there as people who need Jesus? Because you see, God has put the welcome mat out to everyone, for every sort of person. And maybe we don't. 
And worse than that, maybe we don't even notice that we don't. So we need to work at it, don't we, that we accept all sorts of people here with us. Not just the ones that dress like us. Not just the ones that may have a lifestyle like us. Not just the ones that have the same coloured skin as us. It's for everyone. And we're going to make sure that we don't put up any barriers to anyone coming in. Because what this teaches us, any friend of Jesus has got to be a friend of ours. Any friend of Jesus has got to be a friend of ours. And as we grow to be a church with an open heart, as we learn that as a growing family, then we will be open. And our welcome mat will be there for everybody. Because it's a simple message, isn't it? It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter what background you come from. It doesn't matter what culture you are. It doesn't matter what religious background you've had. It doesn't matter about any of that. What matters is that you come to Jesus. And that's it. I pray this morning that you've seen that stunning plan of salvation of God, that beautifully dovetailing of bringing people together. He's far better than the bloke on Better Homes and Gardens, isn't he? He's got it just perfectly set. He brings it all together and he shows that his salvation is for everyone. His love breaks down all barriers. What a wonderful God we have. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do give you great thanks that, Lord, you have blown the door open for all people. That in Jesus you have made it possible from people from every nation, from every tongue, from every background to know you. Lord, we pray that we may grab the heart that you have. The heart to see people to come to know you. Well, may we be driven. May we be enthused. May we be encouraged, Lord. May your spirit ignite us within. To have the passion that you have for people who don't know you yet, Lord. And Lord, may you give us the words and the lives to live to bring that message to those not yet Christians that you've placed around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.